Graduates Conversations podcast. Hi, thanks for tuning in. My name is Fatih and I'm the host of the Conversations podcast powered by All Graduates Interpreting and Translating Services. I really hope you're enjoying our podcasts. Please make sure to subscribe to our channels. You can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. Now, if you have any topics you'd like me to cover, or if you have any guests you'd like me to interview, please send me an email with your ideas. My email address is fatih at allgraduates.com.au. That's fatih, F-A-T-I-H, at allgraduates.com.au. Thanks again, and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. Today, I am with Aurélie Sheehan uh, from NATI, and she is the Certification Policy and Development Manager there. Hello, Aurélie. How are you? Hi, Patty. I'm very well. Thank you. Very good to have you here today. Thank you so much for making the time. I know you are a very busy woman. Thank you for having me. Now, in addition to being the Certification Policy and Development Manager at NATI, you're also a certified English to French translator, and you are the OZIT ACT branch chair. How do you do it all? <laughs> That's a very good question. I'm not sure. <laughs> I guess I'm very organized. Uh, yes, indeed. I've been in the translation industry for more than 10 years now, uh, and I've been you know, in various uh, roles as an in-house translator, freelance translator, and, and yes, in the last couple of years, I've taken on the chair role uh, for the Ozita City branch. And it's a very exciting, uh, exi- exciting challenge for me. And, and since 2018, I've joined NATI. Um, so I studied as a project officer in the examiner training space. So I was here in the very early days of the rollout of the certification system. Uh, working with our examiner panels, training them to set and mark non-specialist tests. Uh, And lately, I've taken on the role of uh, manager of uh, certification policy and development, where I focus more on the development uh, strategy, but also obviously the examiner training, test creation material, um, test test design for non-specialist and specialist tests as well. Um, hopefully we'll get together again uh, on another episode and we'll talk about the tests and how they're set and the specialised um, legal and health interpreter tests as well. Absolutely. Um, Oli, so you would be the person to speak about the certification, recertification, how to use the Minati portal, for example. Mm-hmm. I've been speaking to quite a lot of practitioners, um, uh, you know, ones that I work with, ones that I teach with. Uh, and some of them are finding this uh, Minati portal a little bit hard to understand and, and, and mm-hmm. use. Um, now, as we all know, and as you mentioned as well, uh, there was a major reconstruction in January 2018 with the entire certification system. And I think at the same time, the Minati portal was introduced as well. Um, so what is this Minati portal? 
So in a nutshell, the MyNally portal is um, is a pra the practitioner's dashboard, if I can put it this way. So basically all, all practitioners who transitioned um, when we, we switched to the certification system or all newly certified uh, practitioners would have access to the MyNally portal. Um, it gives them access to a variety of features. Um, for instance, they can update the, the details that they they might have decided to show on the NATI directory. They can um, have access to uh, the evidence of their current credentials. And they can also apply to sit another certification test or another uh, NATI test, such as our community uh, language aid test, for instance. Um, and most importantly, they can access the logbook. And this is where they record their uh, work practice and their professional development activities for their next recertification. Uh, with the updating of the personal details, I mean, why is this important? Doesn't it automatically put your details on there? Do I have to go in and change my details? Yeah, so it is important for two things. The first thing is that Nati will use these details to communicate with practitioners and send them, for instance, uh, Nati News every month. Um, the second important uh a factor in, in this is the fact that you can uh, have your uh, details on the NATI directory if you decide to do so, and you can um, tailor it to what you want to display. So um, it is optional. Uh, from the MyNATI portal, practitioners can choose to opt out of the NATI directory. They can choose to be on the NATI directory, and then they can decide which details they want to display show their name, their address, their phone number, their email address, or their website even. Uh, but this is totally um, customizable. And this is a free service. So potential, yes. potential clients can go in there and look for interpreters and translators, and um, practitioners can have their email addresses, websites, phone Absolutely. numbers on there. Yes, that's correct, yeah. That's very handy. Um, it is. Now, also, uh, I had a little bit of a look at the Minati portal as well. You can access your credentials too if you wanted to share them with um, people who are asking for them, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Some clients may request to have a certificate as an evidence of your current credentials, and you can download your credential certificate and your certification or recertification letter uh, from your Minati portal. And uh, in regards to this recertification logbook, um, I remember pre prior to 2018, we had to do it all manually. Um, and now it's gone online. I personally find it super easy. Um, is that the only way we can recertify now? Do we have to use the logbook online or can we still do it manually? So the logbook was a major change uh, that was introduced with the certification system. So now it has become the, the only way uh, to submit your recertification application. Yes, indeed. So from the portal, you can log in all your activities, uh, professional development activities and work practice, but you can also submit your recertification application. So it's made the whole process uh, a lot more streamlined and intuitive as well. Uh, just in a few clicks, you can register all your information and submit your application. At Natty's end, it also makes the process uh, easier. Uh, applications are processed more quickly as well. So. 
it's big. Uh, I'd like to share with our listeners and viewers that uh, Orly and I are going to be running a webinar together in regards to how to claim uh, PD points and how to use the Minati portal for recertification. Um, but today, just briefly, can you tell us the steps um, from the point of me, for example, doing a PD event and then claiming that um, towards my recertification using the NATI portal, just briefly. Yeah, so I'll try to be brief. <laughs> so um, from your MyNATI portal, you can access the logbook. So there's a logbook icon and you just need to click on this. And then you will see the two main sections of, of uh, what's required uh, to do to recertify. So the first one being the professional development and the other one, the work practice. So if you click on the professional development icon, you will to an interface where you can simply by clicking on add the add activity button you can um, there's a pop-up window where you can fill in all the details of the activity or the event that you have done and from that section you can also access the pd catalog so you have a, an easy reference to the different categories that are in there um, and it's presented in a way that makes it really intuitive where you, you can't really miss any anything. You've got drop-down menus where you can choose the activity code. For instance, in the catalog, you might have 1.1, which is the first activity. You can just select a number and this will also influence the requirements of the activity, which is another drop-down menu. And generally it's about the duration of the event, for instance, or the activities, because this influences the number of points. Um, you can see the number of points that you are acquiring for that particular activity. And of course, you can simply drag and drop uh, proof of uh, evidence of your of the activity that you've done. Uh, so this can be uh, checked at the time of your recertification application. And basically, this is um, a way to track your progress over time as well. You can clearly see from the homepage uh, a progress chart that indicates how many points you have accumulated so far and where you still need to um, obtain some points to meet the 120-point the requirement. So, Aurélie, what about the work practice evidence? Yeah, sure. So, um, as part of... Um, their recertification requirements. So we've just talked about the professional development, but practitioners also have to log their work practice. So in the portal, there's another icon where they can just uh, access that and uh, add any uh, work practice that they've done, so any translation assignment or interpreting assignment. So the way it's presented, um, you just need to click on add activity or add work practice uh, button. And then you have the same pop-up window opening where you can log in all the details of a particular assignment. And as part of the, the dashboard of that uh, section, you can also see a progress bar where you can view how many words you've translated to this day. So um, just coming back to uh, the work evidence, so you, as you log in details of an assignment, um, you, can, uh, you need to provide uh, evidence, which can be a purchase order or an invoice or a letter from your employer if you're, for instance, a full-time uh, 
in-house interpreter in a hospital, uh, a letter from your employer uh, might be uh, sufficient. Uh, it would have to state your credentials, your language directions, uh, the number of hours that you've been uh, working or your contracted uh, hours or period of contract terms. Um, a letter of your accountant might also be uh, another option uh, if they have enough information to, to confirm uh, your activity or your credentials. Um, yes, so th there's there's a variety of opportunities. Um, if you work for an agencies, you can also get a letter from your translation or, or interpreting agency. However, you cannot provide, uh, for instance, a translation you would have done because of the confidentiality uh, factor. Uh, so that wouldn't be considered as uh, an acceptable evidence. What if you have done voluntary work? I know some practitioners during COVID-19 have volunteered their services, translators and interpreters. Mm -hmm. What can they do to uh, provide evidence for that? Uh, well, I guess it depends in which context they have done those volunteer translations. Um, they could probably, um, if they haven't done it through a volunteer translation platform uh, where you could, where you get a confirmation email or kind of work order uh, confirmation, then uh, you can probably uh, talk to the association you're working with or or the people for whom you've done that volunteer translation and ask them for uh, a letter or uh, a note explaining what, what you've, you've been doing. I think that's the safest bet, uh, whether yeah. that you're doing the voluntary translation for the association, get some kind of a letter from them saying that you have provided that service. Absolutely. And some of them provide certificates, actually. I mean, the biggest one, uh, you know, I'm thinking of Translators Without Borders, uh, they would provide uh, evidences for you, either in the form of an email or certificate or things like that. So you can definitely ask for those. But the simplest one, if you can't get an actual official certificate or letter, would be, a, you know, just a, an explanatory note uh, from the, the the person who required the translation, that, that would be considered sufficient. I find it very easy to manage compared mm -hmm. to before. I'm not very well organised with my documentation, to be honest with you. <laughs> Definitely not as organised as, uh, as you would be. Um, so with the actual portal, I find it very easy. As soon as I have completed a PD mm -hmm. and I have the evidence, I upload it straight away. Mm -hmm. I can see my progress chart just change colour. And then I say, oh, okay, I've done my minimum 30 points in this category. Now I can worry about other things. Um, or, you know, when I, for example, went to Turkey uh, last year, um, I uploaded my itinerary, my ticket to show that I was, you know, in the country where my load was spoken majority of the time. Um, and then I just saw my points in category three, I think, change. Yes. And it, it just it just makes it so easy, especially for people like me who just lose documents on their own table. Yeah, absolutely. It you know, it makes it so much easier, and you have one place where everything is recorded in you know in a virtual environment. You just need to click a button to submit your application at the end of your recertification period. So it it makes the process really uh, smoother, I'd say. 
Um, and yeah, it makes it easy for practitioners to, to remain uh, organized. Um, and, and also like, um, you know, just Batting on what you said about the, the flight itinerary that you put in, um, there's a variety of evidences that can be um, that can be provided to to, to to show evidence of a particular activity. It doesn't necessarily have to be a certificate of attendance, for instance. It's generally the most obvious and probably the most common. But for instance, a trip overseas uh, can easily be um, confirmed by a flight itinerary and that would be an accepted evidence. Uh, other evidences could be uh, for professional development. Um, for instance, we had an interesting, uh, an interesting application um, where a practitioner submitted poems uh, he had written in his, in his lot, uh, because I, I don't remember which language it was, but it was a way to prove they're trying to maintain the language and doing activities towards that, and they had provided some of their poems. Uh, so lots of evidences can be accepted as long as they're relevant to uh, the credentials, to the industry. One thing that can be submitted, though, is a translation, for instance, that you would have done for a client. Uh, that's not acceptable uh, because of the confidentiality aspect. I guess a, a part of that can be work, uh, used towards your work experience or so when you're claiming towards your, yeah. towards your work. I mean, your translations and the interpreting that you do can be claimed um, for, for your work uh, experience. Mm. Uh, I find it very um, uh, welcoming that you mentioned that it, it doesn't always have to be a certificate of attendance. There are many ways mm. that you can show evidence. And, um, you know, there are a lot of ways, especially these days, there are a lot of free webinars online. Um, YouTube has a lot of free videos. There are TED Talks um, that people can use. How can, how can they show evidence of that? I mean, because, you know, we can read a book and that's personal, uh, professional development. Yeah. We can watch a video, that's professional development. How can we uh, prove to Nati that we did that? Yes, yeah, so these are all acceptable activities. Um, what I mentioned first is that the, um, the catalogue uh, also allows for additional activities that are not listed. Uh, uh, so you can definitely add uh, additional activities that are not part of the catalogue. Uh, and for each one of them, uh, it's I think they're all uh, worth 10 points. So mm -hmm. you can accumulate points for that. So if you if you do, if you read books, if you listen to podcasts in your load, or you can still register those under this uh, category. And the way to um, show evidence of this for instance, if it's a webinar, you might have a booking uh, confirmation. That would be acceptable. Um, if it's a podcast or a book that you've read, you can provide the references of the, of the book, for instance, and provide a little blurb about it and why it was relevant to your practice. And that would be considered as uh, an acceptable evidence of it. Uh, very good. I think it's very important to point out to practitioners out there, you don't necessarily have to go and spend a lot of money on um, PD events. And without even realising, we would be maintaining our professional development by reading, by watching, by taking part in our load mm -hmm. communities. Um, it's it just, just we need to be able to uh, provide some kind of evidence 
uh, in regards to claiming these points with these categories, I guess. Yeah, as a French translator myself, I'm I'm trying to be uh, involved as much as possible in the in the francophone or French community here in Canberra. And for instance, I attend the French Film Festival, or I'm a member of the Alliance Française. And I can't necessarily uh, provide a certificate for this, but I can provide a copy of my membership card yes. or voice uh, I received when I, I, I enrolled or I can provide um, film tickets, uh, which clearly show it was uh, for the French festival. So all these are possible ways of, of confirming you have done an activity. Uh, very good. So you don't necessarily have to spend thousands of dollars going Absolutely. overseas. <laughs> um, and also it doesn't look like we're traveling anywhere overseas anytime soon. So, uh, you know, watching films and watching documentaries and reading books and becoming members to your, uh, within your local community. Um, uh, these are all things that can go towards your professional development. Exactly, exactly. I was uh, having a chat with a Spanish practitioner and uh, she was telling me she watches uh, Spanish movies on Netflix. And uh, that's also an, uh, for, uh, another nice way of language skills and keeping up with the, the evolution of our, of our languages. So, yeah. Indeed. So, practitioners, you might not even realise that you are updating professional development, but you probably are on a daily basis and you can actually use some of those towards your recertification. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for clearing the air about that. Um, I think there was a lot of, <laughs> lot of questions being asked about that. Um, in regards to, uh, I think with the Minati portal, uh, practitioners need to register. Um, yes. Uh, they need to register. Um, so if you have transitioned, you would have probably already uh, you would probably already have an account. If not, it's easily done. Um, you just need to go to www.nati.com.au forward slash mynati and you will be directed to a login page where you can uh, register your account. There's a link there. And if you already have an account, you can just log in from there and then you have access to your portal. Um, if you're newly certified uh, and haven't created an account yet, uh, once you receive your um, confirmation letter of, of your, your credentials, I mean, you will have your certificate, your certification letter, but then you will have another email which gives you uh, all the information you need to uh, log on to create your account and then log in to, to your MyNati. I was doing a little bit of searching around and I found a YouTube video on the Nati official YouTube channel um, that mm -hmm. does a step-by-step -step of how to register for MyNati. Yes, that's right, well. yeah. Um, yep. And, you know, I, I also found some pretty useful videos on the Nati National YouTube channel. Um, there's videos there about ethical dilemmas, the testing environment, information on Auslan, and also some short online classes uh, and practice videos as part of the Indigenous Interpreters Project. Yes, absolutely. So we're trying to provide, um, you know, as much information as possible using the YouTube channel. And that's something we have been developing over the last uh, two years since we started implementing the certification system. So um, watch this space. There will probably be more coming in the future. Uh, I think so. So first of all, um, dear listeners and viewers, uh, like and subscribe 
to my channel. <laughs> and then as soon as you've done that, you go to Nati and then you can subscribe to the Nati YouTube channel as well, which I think is quite um, useful. Uh, now, could we say, Bali, that 2020 is a write-off when it comes to um, requirements for recertification? Absolutely. Uh, in the current circumstances, Nati has decided to write off uh, the 2020. So if all practitioners who had 2020 as part of their recertification period, this year will not count, which means um, the normal requirements won't be uh, applicable. So for professional development, Nati requires a minimum of 120 points. Uh, and for this research for this recertification period, so for everyone who has 2020 as part of their recertification period, they will only be required to uh, provide 80 points for professional development. And for work practice, for translators, the minimum requirement is 30,000 words over a three-year period. It will be 20,000 words for uh, the current period if 2020 is part of their recertification period. And for interpreters, instead of 120 hours, we'll be looking at 80 hours or assignments depending on, on what they, they, they've been doing. Uh, so it is, uh, we hope this will help practitioners uh, in those difficult times. Uh, thank you very much on behalf of all the practitioners out there for doing that. Um, uh, so we can just pretend 2020 never happened? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so I'll be celebrating my 41st again next year, not my 42nd. <laughs> Isn't it good? <laughs> I love it. It's great. <laughs> I always like to look at the glasses half full. So we'll make the most of it. Um, Oli, thank you. Thank you so much for today and uh, giving me the time. Um, I look forward to our webinar together, um, and we'll go, through, we'll go through how to use the Minati portal to uh, recertify. Yes. Um, and I look forward to talking to you again in our future episodes. Thank you again so much. Thank you so much for having me. All Graduates Conversations Podcast.